And now, it's time for a Star Trek story. Aaron, we've been talking a lot about Star Trek on this show, believe Have it or we? not. Um, a bit. Spoiler alert. <laughs> um, and we've kind of talked a little bit about this. I don't think we've directly addressed it yet. Um, but, you know, before we get too much further into Star Trek, perhaps we should talk about it a little bit. And so my question is, what exactly is the Star Trek ethos? The ethos. Yeah. I was thinking about this today. Exploration is in the ethos. That's a word that should be in the ethos somewhere. That's a huge part of Star Trek. Exploring the galaxy as as well as human struggles with themselves to better themselves, human struggles with other beings and their relationships. So, yeah, exploration Mm. would be. You know, that might be it. Thanks for listening, everyone. Good night. Uh, exploration um so yes welcome to star trek stories everyone episode 16 where no one has gone before um as always i am your illustrious host jaron hatch and i'm joined by my lovely co-host aaron cole hello aaron hi jaron how are you you got a new adjective i'm still lovely (laughs) <laughs> illustrious and lovely. Yeah. yeah. I feel like that's pretty good. Illustrious. Yeah, a couple of two words you you could live up to and have as a descriptor. <laughs> I can't imagine two better words. <laughs> um, so we are continuing on with our look at the growing pains of the next generation. Um, so far, it's been a kind of <laughs> it's been a fun little ride. Um, last time we watched The Last Outpost which is the episode that introduced the big bads of Star Trek The Next Generation, the Ferengi. Well, they tried. <laughs> they tried anyway. They to, certainly tried to make them the big bads. <laughs> to make them the big bads. <laughs> uh, we will be getting back to the Ferengi later in our big 100 episode list. Um, they will not be showing back up again in, in our little chunk of episodes right now. Um for today, though, we do have a returning guest um, back on the show is our good friend, Scott Tuckfield. Hello, Scott. Hello. 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 La, la, it's so la. good to be back. Always, uh, always a pleasure hanging out with you fellas. Yeah, I'm so happy you're um, back with us. Last time we watched the Enterprise incident when you were here. It was quite an incident. <laughs> Our fun little campy slice of TOS, but we get in. I know your big show is Next Generation, so I'm glad we're bringing you on for I'm some. A, I'm a TNG guy. Mm-hmm. That's it's just how it is. Who isn't really? I mean, I I shudder to think. Yeah. Like I don't want I don't want to know. You know, Scott. I think one of the reasons why both why we both enjoy Star Trek: The Next Generation in particular, and Star Trek broadly speaking, and also why we are good friends is I feel like. And you, and you too, Aaron, all of us. I feel like we all love to wax philosophical. Wax philosophical. Mm. Yeah. Um, how many of our hangouts back in the day in college were just basically would devolve into sitting around high, pontificating on the big questions of life, universe, and everything? 100%. <laughs> like, if not all of them, then most of them. 
the vast majority. It's just where we wanted to go. I mean, sometimes we would be like, okay, we're playing Metroid Prime. And even then, it would suddenly, Metroid Prime was off, and we were just <laughs> talking about, what is anything? What is it, really? <laughs> what is any? What is this nonsense? <laughs> it's um, all about, man. And, you know, you're an artist, Scott. Do you feel like that really comes into your work a lot as an artist? I know artists always are speaking to something personal to them. Um, how much of that do you think kind of bleeds into your own work? Oh, it's, it's uh, an enormous amount. It totally bleeds into everything. Yeah. Um, I would say that the, the only real sane way to be an artist is for it to be kind of an act of searching for meaning or creating meaning and that, that questioning, because uh, otherwise it's just not a very rational thing to do with your life um, unless it's feeding something in your soul like that. So, yeah, it's, it's constant. It's, I would say it's one of the, the core principles of my personality and, and my life yeah. is that, that interest and that curiosity about, about the bigger questions. Yep. Um, I don't know if any of you at home have seen Scott's work. Is there a place where they can find, where people can, uh, at home yeah, can find Yeah, go, go to scotttuckfield.com or look up Scott Tuckfield on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Probably your best bets. Uh, definitely check it out. There's going to be some fun stuff to tickle your brain. Um, and, you know, a lot of artists, I feel like there's a lot of different, like when it comes to meaning, that meaning is also such a huge, that can be applied to so many things. Some artists will speak to more of this kind of emotional thing. Uh, some will speak to more of a political kind of meaning. When I look at your stuff, and I, not exclusively, but when I look at your stuff, I get this general sense of, the word that comes to my hand is cosmic. Yeah. Um, again, not everything you do. This is just a general vibe I get. Would you? Does that in your head? Does that? Is that? Does that it? Is oh that yeah. Close? I, I think one of the core guiding principles of my work as an artist is the idea that um, we are one with the universe, the whole vast cosmos. Um, that we are expressions of the universe, we are the universe experiencing itself. And that idea, you know, encompasses all of life and all of history and all of it, all of the potential futures that we have. So there's, you know, it's, it's the broadest umbrella that you could possibly imagine. So, but when, in, but it is a particular like flavor. There's a, there's a very, like you say, cosmic, uh, another word that uh, gets tossed around is visionary. I would, I would probably be called a visionary artist like Alex Gray or Android Jones or some of these other artists. Um, what does that specifically refer to in terms of art terms? I like it's, it's kind of become vague, but what I associate visionary art with is um, psychedelic patterns and colors and visuals, and also a sense of it's, it's, there's some other dimension that's being revealed as if the artist had some sort of vision and is trying to communicate it after the fact through the art medium. Yeah. Um, and so it can be, you know, extremely weird and trippy visions of of strange entities from the DMT realms or whatever, or it can like some of my own stuff is is still pretty psychedelic and has a visionary 
quality to it but it's also just you know a landscape but there's a slight patterning in the sky or uh the colors are a bit exaggerated or something like that Mm. um yeah i would definitely i think you would agree aaron we've had many drug induced trips together over the years (laughs) one or two one or two or twelve thousand i've got one or two scott tuckfield prints too they're awesome you got to check them out um yeah, as someone who has um, done, had a bunch of mushroom trips, had a bunch of um, LSD trips, or as we stay in the Star Trek world, LDS trips. LDS trips. <laughs> <laughs> Every Sunday to the church. <laughs> Did a little too much LDS back in the 60s. Take a couple tabs at LDS. <laughs> um, haven't done DMT yet or ayahuasca. Um, no, I'm kind of scared about it. That's the a hardcore stuff. Have you done that, Scott? I have done some, I've had some interesting explorations into DMT just in the past uh, two months. Mm. Um, For the first time? I had tried it a couple of times before then, but without any guidance. And it was, I, I didn't have like a, you know, an extremely profound experience. Um, but uh, these these recent ones have been very interesting. <laughs> DMT and all of these other uh, psychedelic experiences are really interesting and I think extremely relevant to this uh, episode we're about to watch in, in that it kind of punches a hole through this illusion of you know solidity that this physical dimension gives us. You realize like oh there's actually like a lot more going on mm-hmm. all around us all the time and what we think of as the final reality is not at all that. It's more something a little more illusory mm-hmm. uh yeah it's cool well and you brought up this episode of star trek scott which we'll get into in a, into a second so uh opening up the question from earlier to you now um and shifting into star trek f- from your point of view what exactly is the star trek ethos i would say some words that come to mind are diplomacy and communication Mm. Um, I feel like that's kind of at the center of almost every episode is trying to figure out how to communicate between people who don't, or between beings who don't understand each other fully. Mm. Um, and what would the, maybe a persistent and devoted respect for life, mm. which I think is more present in the next generation than in the original series by far you know the prime directive the one of the core principles is how can we treat all of these new races and species with dignity and still get you know solve the the problems with the collapsing stars and the mm-hmm. the borg and all of that yeah and i i just love that say captain picard is you know he's not the the captain of a battleship even though he he it could is. be. He, like, yeah, the Enterprise is certainly powerful enough, but he is first and foremost an explorer and a diplomat. And those are the, the roles he takes most seriously, and he'll only use force like, as a very last resort. Mm-hmm. And I think that speaks a lot to the ethos of at least the next generation. Yeah. Um, well, let's see how this early TNG episode um, may or may not help elucidate what the Star Trek ethos might be. Um, yes, we are watching the episode where no one has gone before. 
This aired October 26th, 1987. Um, this is the sixth episode produced for the first season, so we'll, we are still fairly early on. Um, this is the second episode to use an abbreviated version of essentially Star Trek's motto, which the best I can come up with is to boldly go where no one has gone before. Right. And this kind of just distills it to the where no one has gone before kind of a thing. And um, earlier, Aaron, um, in our first set of episodes, when we were looking at classic Trek, we watched where no man has gone before. Mm-hmm. Um, the other episode that uses the motto. Um, Probably culturally relevant that they updated the gender gender terms as they went along that's probably that was probably a wise choice yeah 1960s you 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 still hear it nowadays but like mankind the brotherhood of man very masculine terms to describe all of humanity unfortunately as time has gone on even in the 80s we've kind of actually that doesn't really speak (laughs) to all of humanity just the men it's it sounds dated now it's We're like, oh, that's, that's a little embarrassing. We can't say that anymore. <laughs> <You're right. laughs> but it, obviously, you know, they've been on the progressive side of things from the get-go. And uh, it's interesting that if they did make a choice to to ungenderify the the noun there, that they did it in 87, did you say? Like, that's not bad. We're, we're still catching up to that. Could be worse. Could be worse. <laughs> trying to get new viewers, not not siphon them off and segregate them yeah yeah that's a good goal um yeah we can also think while we're watching it um this episode like how does this potential where does the idea of where no one has gone before which could even also be a potential answer to what is the star trek ethos um what does how does that phrase potentially speak to the uh, ethos like literally or figuratively well, that's like the essence of exploration, isn't it? Is that need to to go where you don't know what's going on, <laughs> where you don't know what's already there waiting for you, where no one has gone before. That need doesn't always rationally make any sense, but it's something deep and primal and fundamental to hum- the human condition, I think. Yep. All right, well, for all of you at home, this is your invitation to watch. Star Trek The Next Generation is streaming on Paramount+. Plus. You can find it by bringing up Season 1, Episode 5, and we will be back after we go where no one has gone before. in terms you'll understand. I believe that there may be a warp speed that can get us beyond galaxy M33. But there is no velocity of any magnitude that can possibly bring us wherever this is. Is it true what our navigational sensors are telling us? Are we... 
Are we millions of light years away from where we were? Yes. But what got us here? Thought. Thought? You do understand, don't you? That thought is the basis of all reality. The energy of thought, to put it in your terms, is very powerful. That's not an explanation. I have the ability to act like a lens which focuses thought. <laughs> That's just uh, so much nonsense. You're asking us to believe in magic. <laughs> oh, yes, this, this could seem like magic to you. No. No. That actually makes sense to me. Only the power of thought could explain what has been happening, especially out here. Thought is the essence of where you are now. You do understand the danger, don't you? Chaos. What we think is what happens. It pains me I was so careless, Captain. My intent was only to observe, not to cause this. You should not be here until your far, far distant future. Certainly not until you've learned control. Speaking of um, in-game mini-games. Star Trek? Star Trek. <laughs> wow. Speaking of... <laughs> got speak, whiplash from that one. Speaking of Grant. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, we just got done watching When No One Has Gone Before. Um, as always, we start with initial thoughts. Scott, initial thoughts coming off of this episode. I love this episode. This is one of my very favorite Star Trek episodes. You've got you've got that early TNG camp where they still hadn't quite shaken off the 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 silly campiness of it all. You've got kind of the the very dated computer graphics that I that honestly like totally work for me. When I watch the episode just now, I'm like this is this is perfect. Like I don't know if if I could replace it with today's uh, capabilities with computers and stuff, like you wouldn't even want to. It was it just all comes together of a piece. It's like the perfect little capsule of this time. Um, I love how uh, philosophical it is. I love that it it really thinks outside of the box as far as storytelling and sci-fi writing goes. You know, it's not just about finding another planet and another alien. They 
they really take it to another level with this one. And it's also fun to see kind of the more surface level uh, arc of, you know, our arrogant, what is it? What was his name? Kaczynski. Kaczynski. <laughs> yeah, like, what a punchable face that guy has. Oh, I just want to f- just yeah, right smirk. in the kisser. Um, but no, it's fun to see, like, that silly drama unfold to see gets immediately humiliated at the uh it's just a it's just a fun episode it works on so many levels i agree um the first season is usually considered to be pretty weak but there are some gems to be found and i would most certainly say this was my you can't miss this one you can't miss this one this is a must this is a essential tng selection i would say totally essential i would agree um Aaron, initial thoughts coming off of this? Space sweaters. Space sweaters. <laughs> no one is taking him, Wesley, seriously because he's wearing that fancy sweater. It's, no it's the is. salmon. It's throwing me off. Like, what God's name is that thing, Wesley? Can I call this that orange off? creamsicle. And the Traveler, too, with Frills his gray frock. Frills <laughs> Yeah, you know, that outfit the Traveler is wearing, you know, I've seen this episode a million times, but toward the end there, I was kind of paying more attention to, like, the fabric and, like, the texture of what he's wearing. I'm like, that's kind of an out there little outfit he's wearing. Pretty good looking sweater that Traveler's got on. Yeah. <laughs> Space sweaters yeah. from the future. Uh, interdimensional thought sweaters. <laughs> interdimensional thought sweaters was the first working title <laughs> that he presented to Gene and then he's like you gotta come up with something better than that. That was my eureka moment. Interdimensional thought sweaters. Wow. And I saw the whole episode in an instant. We'll put frills all up and down. <laughs> That's those sweaters. Frills and folds. Um, yeah, I, I, I really like this one. Even like... We talked about earlier, Aaron, that there was some, at this point in the show, there's some of the, for as much as they're trying to differentiate themselves, it's got, it's still got some of that 60s camp kitsch. They haven't quite gotten away from it yet. You can argue Star Trek never quite ever fully gets away from it. But, nor should it. And nor should it. Yeah, yeah. perhaps. Perhaps a little more so than where we are now. Um and it's it's got some of that written all over it, you know, at this point. But um, I still think it, it's just such a fun idea. And, you know, for me personally, the best stories, personally, this is a very personal subjective thing. But my favorite stories um, spark the imagination. Maybe not always the most, like, incredibly, like, thought out you know it this isn't um to kill a mockingbird <laughs> no no but um but just in terms of sparking an imagination and just like every time i walk away from this one i just like to go think about stuff whatever it is um and i i love that and this episode just has that and star trek every once in a while just has that in spades yeah, just it just you can't help but feel inspired and in, in wonder yeah, and wonder at the universe around you, being like, "Wow, there's there's more, there's more there." <laughs> Thanks, Star Trek. Yeah, like that, like that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, like I was saying, like the first season is generally regarded to be pretty weak. Um, 
and we all really like this one. And we've seen a few so far, like Aaron. What is it about this one that works, still works, is still fun? Exploration. There it is. There it is. <laughs> they they really they they go there. Yeah. Uh it gets your mind uh potentially into new places. Mm-hmm. Like I love that they never really explained anything that they were seeing or witnessing. Like they just they they just showed people being really curious and wanting to go explore it. You know what I mean? Like I think that really helped drive the episode. Like Data saying, like, there's a protostar right over there we could check out. And uh, Picard and Riker talking about how tempting it is to, like, well, I mean, as long as we're here, we could look around. That's even before they get to Thought Universe. Mm-hmm. That's just re- other regular galaxy. Before they try to get out of there yeah. the first time. Um, Scott, why do you think this one, like, is it just because the concept is just so good? I think that's probably the, the center of it, is that it has such a... An imaginative and well-executed concept. Um, I I keep thinking, in sort of in in uh, reference to what we were talking about before we watched, that this episode could be described as consciousness expanding. Like it takes your conception of what is possible in the Star Trek universe and in the actual universe in terms of space and time and thought, and it kind of pushes it to a new level. And I feel like that's had to have had a really interesting impact on all of the people that have watched the episode over the many years that it's existed. It probably has, you know, had, you know, a significant effect. Uh, it's interesting looking at this now, and we've come a little further in um, some co- some kind of understanding of quantum mechanics. But any qu- any quantum physicist will tell you it's like if you think you understand quantum physics, then you don't understand quantum physics. Like even the best of them don't. Like it's bonkers. Th- it it's bonkers. Make a- it, any sense at all? No. It, but it's all just based on inference and based on like our what we're what we're seeing. This is what we can describe. We have no idea why this is the case and why this could even work. Um, that's, you know, that's very lame. And of course, you know, quantum, like again, quantum physicists would be like, <laughs> what are you? But you as know, as an expert in quantum physics, I can, <laughs> I can say with 100% certainty, we have no idea <laughs> that no one, under, no one knows anything. <laughs> um, but you know, in recent years, we have observed this phenomenon of. Um, an observer, uh, which would imply some kind of consciousness, as far as we can understand the, the the word observer, that like quantum states, um, essentially like appear as such or take the state as such, um, due in part to the observer observing it. Um, there is no understanding of what this means, why this is the case. I don't think any scientist would say like, no, your thought is like literally creating the universe. I mean, who knows, but like, we can't speak to, we can't speak to what this potentially means, but we just have observed this. Yeah. From like an empirical physical perspective, we can't make this call at all, but 
question mark. But we but have dot, observed dot, dot, this. Like yes. there's something going on. It sounds like a computer bringing up an asset, the way you described it just now. This mm. is just my out here thinky thoughts. But like you turn around in a video game and you see like a tree and then the tree loads up and it's there. But then when you turn your back, you turn the camera away, the tree goes away. There. Yeah. You know. Right. I mean, God, it's that old age old philosophical question. Like if a tree falls in a forest and there's no one around to hear it, does it make a sound kind of a thing? Exactly. Um, yeah. It's, I don't know this. It's just thrilling to think about when the barrier between the, basically yourself or the, the being in question and the environment or the universe at large, that when that barrier dissolves, and the uh, the realms of like oh my thoughts are actually spilling into the uh, the surrounding space and that has an energy that that is real and has an effect on the surrounding space and my environment um, the possibilities from making that leap into that to accepting that that might be possible at least the possibilities are astounding like anything becomes possible at that point. Which is kind of essentially the situation they find themselves yeah. in, where like literally anything becomes possible. Yeah, it's the only way that the events of the episode could possibly be explained is by punching through into this new level of of awareness of what thought and consciousness and reality and space and time actually are. Mm-hmm. That it that the traveler is some being who's to, you know like some extra dimensional ascended being who can phase in and out of physicality understands this thing in this whole other way and it's pretty adorable when he's in his sick bed trying to explain it to Picard and to the humans he's like so likable I think it's a really great performance by yes, this I guy guess you could call it magic it's like oh your you're, you guys are so cute and like and <laughs> like we're little gerbils or something yeah he's like, oh, you and guys. we are like <laughs> we totally would be to him but he's not he's there's no mockery in it he like totally loves everybody mm-hmm. uh, it's I think that's one of the most important things he's like yeah he's it you know, as the way you see it, it would be a long time. Or the way you see it, it's a different time. But you can tell he's like, mm, no, that's not actually, like, the right question to ask. Um, that the nature of the whole thing is different than we we assume. And yeah. it's just so interesting. It's, I, uh, it, it, there's, of course, it has, it has to be a, has to be a TV episode. So there's there's a whole bunch of limitations that are going to be there on the idea to begin with. If you go like if if you were trying to make this today as some ultra realistic gritty sci-fi drama trying to really explore what the situation would actually be like, it would be it wouldn't be like this. It would probably You'd have to question, like, would the physicality of their ship even have any continuity? Like, why doesn't it all just dissolve into yeah. into psychedelic madness, which it probably would in that point? But you can't have that. Like, then the show is over. <laughs> yeah. And um, so it's it's fun to see how they have to rein it in. Like the the manifestations of the thoughts, you know, are just here and there, and they can be kind of easily controlled. Like, you know, you might argue that if they were actually thrown into this place, that it would just be an immediate, 
explosion of of chaos that there wouldn't be any time at all to deal with it. Yep. I guess actually in the original draft, it was much more out there and like cosmic and just some of the things like it basically by the end, like the enterprise was in like this like cosmic egg of like thought and ends up birthing a universe kind of a cr- like, <laughs> and that's like, more the, like it. the illusions and everything get just really go much further than what you get here. Interesting. But it's like, we can't. Yeah. It's like, we you got to rein that this, in writer's room. <laughs> yeah, maybe. That in. We can't make that. I don't know what that is, son, but that's Satan. Yeah, we were we were just saying as you stepped out of the room how this you could really make this uh, on a whole other level if it was an animated show. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, like you could see all the characters melt away into seething mandalas of eyeballs and flowers and rainbow crystalline hallways, and oh, it'd be great. Oh yeah. You but know, then you're like. And <laughs> you don't know who's talking, and you don't know what what's going on anymore. It's all just swirling colors on the screen. <laughs> There's a story I'm supposed to follow? Yeah. You can't let it break down too much. Yeah. I don't know. It's there, man. It's it's just got layers. So many layers. <laughs> but no, like, for for me, the... The, what makes this one really exciting for me is this this core, the heart of this episode, or in a few different lines um, that most uh, that Wesley says one of them, uh, which is like, oh, that space and time and thought are not the separate things that they appear to be, and the traveler's like, whoa, don't like, they're not, you're not ready for that yet. That dangerous nonsense. That dangerous nonsense. That's that's classic. That's that's fantastic. That because um, it, it makes it, it just takes it to this deeper level. Um, I can't help but think of when I when I see this episode. I can't help but think about a book I read many years ago called Autobiography of a Yogi mm. um, by Paramahansa Yogananda. Mm-hmm. And it's it, it's what it sounds like. It's a detailed autobiography from this super mystic yogi in India as he grows up and becomes a, like a spiritual guy, spiritual master under these different um, different teachers. And it has a bunch of different accounts of um, some pretty crazy stuff, some miracles that these yogis were able to perform. Uh, what would this have been like in the 1800s, early 1900s? There's pictures of this Yogananda guy, so it wasn't like that long ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but there were, he tells of these these yogis who could like appear in two places at once, mm-hmm. where uh, like a I don't know if they sent their astral bodies and could like manifest in the distance, talk to somebody, and then like go go back to their their normal there were there were yogis who could just like create uh perfumes and scents that just by by their spiritual will i guess mm-hmm. um and he like the ideas that the the yogis were talking about in this book and the ideas brought up in this episode i think are very connected mm-hmm. um where like your mind if if you're sufficiently like connected or aware of your mind's relationship to space and time 
and of like the actual power that you are thought could potentially have maybe, um, or if you have developed more power than that, than, than we're used to having, um, that something like teleportation or traveling to a distant galaxy in the blink of an eye uh, becomes, there are no limits uh, mm-hmm. in that realm. There are no limits of, of light speed and, and physics. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, it's real fascinating. Mm. I, I, got, I can't help but think that there's a, a common core mm. between here and, and the, these, uh, the, these yogis whose whole thing was plugging into consciousness. Mm. And thought, the power of thought, and so forth. Yep. Um, what I, I, one of the things I like about how they handle it in this episode is, um, and going into like thought and like, and because in this episode we get like people's thoughts manifesting into reality. And what I like what they do on a narrative sense is that. Uh, they don't try to explain this too much. It's left a lot to your interpretation of what this, and they and they uh, frame it in that, of course that like the traveler, it's beyond your comp, yeah, it's like, beyond your comprehension, and also the simple fact that like we don't have any 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 you know answers that can speak to something like this like in a in a physical scientific sense so it's like it leaves a lot for you to interpret what this means maybe that's part of the ethos is is star trek is something that that forces you to think about things that you've never thought about before mm-hmm. yeah so it's like that exploration on another level where it's like the show is about them exploring space but then of course they're exploring humanity but then as a viewer not taking like another step back it's like but it makes you as a viewer explore what all this means for yourself and like, and those around you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I guess just speaking to the episode specifically, we should real quick talk about Wesley Crusher. Wesley, probably the MVP of the, <laughs> the episode other than the traveler himself. Of course, Wesley was the one who was on top of it. Right, right, right away. He had a fantastic sweater. It was very there's frills and folds aplenty. <laughs> they really sweater. set him up as the savant, the child prodigy character. Yeah, the Mozart. Yeah. The onboard Mozart. The the crazy thing is that so far he's got more character development than anyone on the show up to this point. Wesley Crusher. Really trying to sell it to kids. Oh yeah. Gets made an acting ends in this in this episode. You know, maybe my one criticism is but um, I sometimes take some exception with this idea of because you know we're talking about this idea of like especially in this episode consciousness expanding and you know but you know um, I I and I and I this gets into some political stuff but, but I also have a very kind of like leftist communitarian bent in that I feel like any kind of exploration of this stuff while it does happen on an individual level. Uh, it probably should speak to some larger c- human community thing. So sometimes when we get these stories about the special one, 
the or the the cho- the chosen one. I don't know if Wesley quite is getting the chosen one. I don't know. I just sometimes I get a little like to me that kind of I don't know. It's not a defeater for the episode, and I get what they're trying to be into it. Like, and there are clearly exceptional people throughout human history. But when they're doing this idea about consciousness expanding and connecting to this thing, but then saying how like, but this one kid, like he's the really special one, you know, and he's the one who can really, again, grant, there are exceptional people. Kind of knocks everyone else, all the other characters down a peg. Down a peg, you know. Um, you know, I, I, again, there are exceptional people, I, but I, of course I can't help but wonder if we live in a society that... I didn't have poverty, didn't have this, where everyone was able to be their fullest flower. I couldn't help but wonder how many more special, exceptional ones, you know, there would be out there. You know what I mean? Here, here, yeah. I, I Is like it just it. one of those raising scale things where, like, as the bar of humanity raises, the more exceptional the exceptional people become? Yeah, I don't see why not. I mean, because like, if you're if you're exceptional on the enterprise, you're like the the superest of the super geniuses. Yeah, the, the best of the best of the best. <laughs> yeah, so. When do we top out? Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there are people who have worked their whole lives to be where they are in the Enterprise and just to have this character who's just, like, naturally gifted at all of it. I, I, again, like, not to say this this person couldn't exist or anything. I, it, it's just a little frustrating just to have that like one special per like for me what's interesting in, in storytelling specifically is to see people grow into those things and just to have someone who's already there at 14 it, it, yeah it's not the it's not very interesting or engaging it's just it's just they're just telling you this person's special okay I, you, know, I can, you know i can uh yeah i could get i can understand that point yeah. for sure he didn't have to work toward yeah, the he, higher understanding. He just from the just first seconds of the episode already is there. Well, maybe if you do this, it's better. But it is interesting. Like, wouldn't you say like Mozart was kind of like that? Like he didn't. He was at that level at what five years old. Yeah, he, he didn't have to like work for here, twenty well, years. Yes, at but we, university for it. But we also have to also remember that Mozart's dad was himself a composer and was on his kid from birth to be a great composer yeah. like there are still that makes a big difference like if if mozart's dad wasn't there and he didn't have the childhood and like wealth that came with where his dad was there wouldn't be mozart which is an interesting point about how the phenomenon that is mozart that is the composer in his life and all of his works is actually like you can't ever draw a line of where that phenomenon ends because it reaches back to his dad and then that reaches back to all of the previous generations and all of the various environmental factors that went into creating this one perfect arrangement of environment, training, and aptitude to create Mozart. You're saying Mozart was a Nepo baby? Uh, I mean, kind of. I mean, like, look, like they had the funding of the church, you know, and like that's where Mozart got into. I mean, like, like it's not as simple as he was just like Zap. He alone was just chosen by God, and no, it was he's not the star child of two thousand (laughs) one. Yeah, it was the result of a lot more motion behind the scenes than that that model leads us to believe. Mm Right, no doubt he had natural aptitude, no doubt. But again, 
think about who his dad is like you know yeah <laughs> there's a lot that goes into it and so again like i just can't help but wonder it's it's uh, especially you know in a post scarcity society like we see in star trek we would you know like and once actually wesley leaves then they really get to show just how special all of the characters are not just wesley that's more interesting to me. I yeah. agree. You see, like, oh, Jordy is just a super genius in his way, but he has these shortcomings in these other areas. And then, right. oh, and then everyone is a super genius in these different ways, and we get to watch them interact with their human flaws. Yeah. I agree. I think that's a, a stronger way to approach it. Um, probably just a, a couple little behind-the-scenes things real quick. Um I guess this, so this episode is loosely based on the TOS novel, The Wounded Sky, which was written by Diane Duane, who actually was the co-writer of this episode. Oh. So she, she got to turn to, to some degree one of her stories well done, into it. Diane. Get that uh, money. Even though I, I, I believe it was heavily rewritten, and I guess in the original draft there was no Traveler character. It was just Kaczynski who just somehow made this happen. And it had a whole different kind of tack where, like, I think Kaczynski's son was aboard, and but Kaczynski was exor- ignoring his family because of his th- theories and hmm. very different kind very of, different. very different approach. And uh, like we, I think we talked about briefly either in the episode or while we're talking, like, it got much more cosmic again. Like, they're in, they end up creating, like, getting in a cosmic egg and birthing a universe. And the, <laughs> This, and this whole process ends up taking six days, and on the seventh day, Picard Picard orders them to uh, to shore leave. <laughs> oh my god, that's a little on the nose. Little on the nose. Um, All has happened before. Oh, who happened again? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's out there. They 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 had to rein that in. Um, probably the most interesting little bit of tidbit. Of, for this episode, Eric Menyuk, who plays the Traveler, who I think does a wonderful job. Yeah, well done. He really Eric. channels that Eric. Eric Menyuk. Well done, Eric. He was a finalist for the role of Commander Data when they were casting the show, and he didn't quite get it. Brent Spiner gets the role of Data, so as like a kind of consolation prize, he gets to play the Traveler. So this is—he almost ended up playing Data, though. He could be a good Data. I could see that working. I mean, I've, you can't beat Brent. It's hard to imagine anyone besides Brent Spiner playing Data. He's so iconic. Yeah, so, but I'm glad he got to, to play. So, that's a juicy role. Oh, yeah. For a guy who didn't get the, the part he was going for, that's still a pretty juicy role. It's a great yeah. lesson for any, any auditioning actors out there. You just never know what they're looking at you for. Never know. Mm. Always do your best. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts for where no one has come before? I want to go and meditate myself into another dimension. <laughs> like that. I just want to like zap myself through a star filled hallway of galaxies and just kind of like zoom around for a while. I want to use the power of my thoughts 
to manifest some mushrooms. Yeah. Damn, it's been a long time. Anyone got mushrooms? <laughs> you only want to get mushrooms? So please send us your Star Trek stories and mushroom hookups. <laughs> StoriedStarTrek at gmail.com. Please do not send us your mushroom hookups. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, we, I think we kept you a little late, Scott, but thank you so much for... Uh, Going down the rabbit hole. This is exactly what this episode calls for, I feel like. Uh, this was fun. This was just a delight to to dive into the deep end and wax philosophical with you guys. Philosophical. Philosophic? Wax philosophic or philosophical? Physiological. Physiological. We're getting further away. <laughs> it, was, it was nice talking to you guys. Yeah, you too, man. It was nice talking to you, Scott. Uh, we will definitely have you back. Um for more Star Trek The Next Generation. I would generation. love that. Yeah. Um, as we go further and further down our little journey. Well, um, next time, our journey through the growing pains of the next generation continues with Hide and Q. This is our first returning appearance of Q, who we met in the premiere, who is basically like the inverse of the Traveler. A different cosmic being, but has a very different agenda. Yeah, different <laughs> styles, different flavors to those guys. Do they ever meet in the show, The Traveler and Q? No. No, never get together? So. That'd be an epic showdown. That, I mean, I don't think The Traveler would put up a fight. I think he'd probably just be like, no, nah, I'm out. The Q continuum seems to be at the top of the pecking order, as far as yeah, we see. Yeah, you don't mess with the Q continuum. <laughs> just, just do what they say. Keep your head down. <laughs> You'll be fine. Um, yeah, so next time we get to uh, see what Q is up to. And also our good friend Jake Barnes will be back with us to talk about um, more Q stuff. This should be a fun time. Yay. Love uh, Jake. We, we love you, Jake. We look forward to having you here. Um, Scott, thank you so much. You're welcome. <laughs> Aaron, as always, thank you so much. You're so welcome, bud. You guys are all so amazing. Oh, I love thank you, guys. We grok each other. We grok. We grok. We do grok. Great book. <laughs> Stranger in a Strange Land it's by. Great book. Yeah. Heinlein. Heinlein. What, what a read, everyone. Check Another out. one about thoughts creating reality. <laughs> yeah. Go get yourself some drugs. Go get Stranger in a Strange Land by Robert Heinlein. And, oh, boy, have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> You're in for a wild ride. Um, well, until then, we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to share us your own Star Trek story, you can email us at storiedstartrek at gmail.com, or you can visit our Discord server. You can find us by clicking on the link in the show description.